copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Hear now the word of the living God. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is the word of the living Christ, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time in the word. Now, Lord, we know that in the scriptures there is indication that Christ speaks to churches by his spirit through the preaching of his word. We thank you that this is the reality behind the public preaching of your word until Christ comes. So we pray that in this brief time now, you would encourage our hearts, cause any distractions to fall by the wayside, invigorate our souls, and grant our eyes faith and hope to see and to savor. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, Lord willing, and for the three weeks which follow, I want us to consider the four phrases of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Let me read it to you one more time. There, Paul, in one of his first letters, writes these words, when the fullness of time had come. That's phrase one. God sent forth his son. That's phrase two. Born of a woman, phrase three, and born under the law. Over these next four Sundays, Lord willing, we want to consider the coming of Christ and what it means for Paul to say that Christ's coming happened in the fullness of time, that it was God who sent forth his Son, that Jesus was born of a woman. Why does this matter? And lastly, that he was born under the law. And by his grace, we seek to mine these phrases as we trace them through the pages of Holy Scripture. It's these four themes that we will observe in this final month of 2023. But it's necessary for us to consider just for a moment the background of the book of Galatians. We are diving into chapter 4, but it's important for us to consider passages of Scripture in the context where they occur. Briefly then, let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. There the word reads, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Boys and girls, Galatia was a real city. 2,000 years ago, Paul, a real man who saw Christ raised, is writing a letter. This man, Paul, has been chosen as an apostle. Christ has specifically chosen him with the other apostles 
to spread his word, to be the foundation of Christ's church, to spread news of his resurrection. And so Paul is doing that to the church at Galatia. But prior to this letter, Paul has been on a bold church-planting mission in this region where Galatia is. Galatia is not in Jerusalem. The gospel has moved from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to other cities, Gentiles, have come to Christ. And you can read of the Galatian Christians in Acts chapter 13 and 14. They heard the gospel and they believed on Christ. This is really the pattern of the church from the time of the ascension of Christ all the way until Christ returns. The gospel is preached, people believe on Christ, and they are saved from their sins. But in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we hear some record of those individuals that Paul now writes to. For instance, Acts 13, verses 37 and following, the word reads this way, But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is the apostles preaching the gospel to the Galatians and the regions around them. But did you notice what they said? When preaching to this people that Paul would shortly write to in the book called Galatians, that the gospel is Christ proclaimed to you, preached for the forgiveness of sins, and that everyone who believes on Christ is justified, is declared in the right with God, for all the things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Before we get into the Galatians, you need to understand, if you're new to the things of Christianity, being right with God is not trying to keep the rules. The rules are important. The Ten Commandments that we just heard read are a part of God's law. They reveal his character. But we are now lost in our sin. We are lawbreakers. Our nature has become sinful. And we will not ever be able to be justified by the keeping of the law, by our works. This is the same gospel message that is preached to you today in 2023. It was preached 2,000 years ago to Galatia. And many responded. Listen to what the end of Acts 13 says, verse 48 and 49. Now when the Gentiles heard this, when some of the Galatians heard this, They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of God was being spread throughout all the region. The Galatians hear the gospel. They come to Christ. And a church is formed. But since that time, some men had come into that early church plant the church at Galatia. They began to attack Paul and they began to attack the purity of the gospel. They did not deny that Jesus was the Savior. They did not deny that Jesus was important, that Jesus should be preached. But what they said is, you must add to Christ. Christ is the entrance, but through some kind of work, some kind of faithfulness on your own, you stay in and finish the work which Christ started. You have a Savior who needs your help to save you. 
And in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, Paul has to defend his apostolic authority. If you're not familiar with the word apostolic, it just means the authority of one who is an apostle that Christ has specifically chosen. There are no apostles today. The apostles were particular men chosen by Christ, having seen his resurrection, to plant the foundation for his church. So in chapters 1 and 2, Paul defends his authority as an apostle. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he defends the gospel. Christ crucified for sinners, any of whom that trust in him will be saved simply by his work and his righteousness. But these teachers were saying that you had to add circumcision. Boys and girls, that old covenant ritual related to men to show that it was from the Jews that Jesus would come. Now you have these Judaizers saying these Gentiles need to be circumcised like us. That will complete the work of Christ. So we read of this, don't we, in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 and following. At the end of the letter, this is what Paul says, And as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, Gentile Galatians, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails, is good for anything but a new creation. You see, this was a problem in the early church. Gentiles are coming to Christ. Christ is the one sent to the world through the Jews. The Jews for centuries practiced circumcision as a sign that God had given them that the Messiah was going to come from them. But now Gentiles are receiving the blessing of Christ. They're being told by some, you too have to be circumcised. Don't call yourself saved unless you do this work. We can read of this in Acts 15, verse 1. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's why in our day we need to be very, very careful before we say that because someone lacks something, they're not saved. They may not be saved. They may be a heretic. They may be a false professor. But let us not in our zeal slip into some kind of Judaizing error where we say, because you lack what I think that you ought to have in your sanctification at this juncture, there's no way that Christ could have died for you. So Paul's letter then, this letter to the Galatians, focuses on correcting this error. If you're looking for a theme verse of Galatians, maybe it would be Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So this is the background of the letter that Paul writes. 
And in the midst of talking about this glorious gospel in chapter 4, he gets to this bold declaration that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. A son born of a woman, born under the law. So then let's begin to consider these four phrases. What does it mean then when Paul says, when the fullness of time had come? Martin Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, a very famous early Reformation commentary, writes these words on this verse, quote, The fullness of the time means when the time of the law was fulfilled and Christ was revealed, end quote. And we can pretty much see that if we read the context before it. Because just before verse 4, Paul says this, Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come. There's a specific time. The time was perfectly right. That is when God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But the entire Old Testament points to the time that would be perfect for the Christ to come. Let me just take you on a survey of the Bible for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've heard of Jesus. Maybe you've heard the name Moses, maybe the name Paul, but you you don't know much about how to put the Bible together. Or maybe you've been sitting in the the chairs of this church for years, and you hear preaching, and, and you, you, you love all the discussion of Christ and the gospel, and you're his. But you look around you, and you think to yourself, I wish I understood how to put the Bible together in a better way. Well, I think Galatians 4.4 4 helps us to have reason to do that. Because Paul says, about 80% of the way through the Bible that when the fullness of time had come, that's when Jesus came. This time was spoken of. Firstly, you can turn there or just listen as I read it, but in Titus, in Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, we read these words. Paul's writing to a person this time, to Titus, and he says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Here, in Paul's letter to Titus, what do we read? That even before time began, it was the purpose of God to send forth his Son. That eternal life would come through Christ. Those of you that love the larger theological terms here in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, is one of the reasons why the Reformers referred to something known as the covenant of redemption. That God, as it were, planned, decreed from before time that the Father and the Son and the Spirit knew before time began that this was the plan. But did you see that in verse 2 of Titus, before time begins, 
there is this promise. But in verse 3, after time had begun, when due time had passed, this promise has become known. You could say that Titus 1, 2, and 3 is a map of the entire Bible. Well, we get to, if we go all the way to the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis 3.15, many of you will remember this passage. Adam and Eve had sinned. They'd broken God's positive law. Do not eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Their eating of that tree was not only their rejection of this command, but rejection of the entire moral law written on their hearts. And that's very important. Because every single ounce of sin that Christ absorbed began, as it were, in Genesis 3.15. Because what do we see there? God finds Adam and Eve in the garden, doesn't he, boys and girls? Now, God knew where they were. He didn't have to go play hide-and-seek with them. But he comes to them and he says, did you eat of the tree of which I told you not to eat? And they blame one another and blame the serpent. And then God speaks. And the first words he says are to the serpent. And essentially he says, from this woman is going to come a seed. And that seed, Satan, serpent, is going to crush your head. That seed will be bruised. His heel will be bruised by you. And this becomes the promise of the Bible. This seed, when will he come? We have sinned. We have been deceived by the serpent. We have gone astray. God has not wiped us out, but given us promise. That from her seed, one will come. So in one way, when you read all the stories of the Old Testament... You see constant failure, don't you? Our brother Blake has been walking us through the book of Judges in the evenings. Don't we see constant failure of Israel that the Old Testament calls God's son? Constant failure. Well, maybe Seth, after the death of Abel and the removal of Cain, maybe Seth will be the seed. Maybe it'll be Noah. Maybe it'll be Abraham. No, God says, in your seed, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so you read your Bible looking for the seed. Time is now bent, as it were, on looking for the promised one to come. Decades pass, centuries pass, millennia pass. A few centuries after this account, depending on how you read the book of Genesis, We get to another man at the very end of the book of Genesis, don't we? Genesis 49 and verse 10. You can turn there or just hear me read. But a man by the name of Judah. There Jacob is offering last words to all of his sons before he dies. Jacob, who is looking for this seed, says in verse 9, he's blessing all of his sons. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. We've got a Judah in our church, and I love it. 
Because just about every time I hear that name, I think to myself, there's a promise here, beginning of the Bible, that we're supposed to trace. What's that promise? The king, who is the seed, is going to come from Judah's tribe. Well, you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and one of Judah's great, 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 great grandchildren is given a promise from you, David, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. From you, it's going to come a kingdom that will never end. And I don't know if you've ever read 2 Samuel chapter 7 closely. Because undoubtedly you've heard preached from this pulpit, from a variety of mouths, the reality that this is the Davidic covenant. This is God's covenant with David. That essentially the Messiah would be a king and it would come from David's house. But notice the language of 2 Samuel chapter 7. God says to David, when your days are fulfilled, mark the time, David, when the time is in the right place, David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him. Now we know, boys and girls, that Jesus never sinned. Here, God is speaking to David and he's talking about two different kinds of kings. They're all going to come from your body, David. They're all going to be your sons. Many of them will sin. And I will correct them, but I'm not taking away my promise. But one of them, one of them who will come, will be the king who establishes an eternal kingdom. We're waiting for the time of this promise to be fulfilled. So then we get to the New Testament, don't we? Just a couple of passages. I don't know if you've ever considered how much the New Testament points to time and the time. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist is preparing his way. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John the Baptist is baptizing. And in Mark 1, verse 14, we read these words. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, here it is, the time, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn away from your sins, believe in the gospel. The very first words of Jesus's public preaching ministry are what? The time is right. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, we read these words. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
Verse 11, there we read these words. A description of the Old Testament people following after God. It says this, verse 10. Excuse me, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom, what? The ends of the ages have come. The whole Bible is this discussion of when will the seed who is the king come? He comes... And the first words out of his mouth are, the time has come. Now, Paul, writing to the Galatian believers, says, when the fullness of the time had come. This time, as Galatians 4.2 says, is the time that is the end of the old covenant. Look there at chapter 4. Paul is in the midst of discussion. He says in Galatians 4.1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by his father. Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of time had come. Because of all that Paul is dealing with in Galatians, He's saying there were a people that had to be, as it were, under a guardian, which was the law. They were under this old covenant. Paul is using an illustration from his day, which was very real in the early centuries. Men would have pedagogues who would take control of the education of their children. They were often slaves. And that child was going to be the heir, but that child was not yet the ruler of the house. So they were under this, as it were, pedagogue, this slave, until what? The appointed time. When they would become the head of the house. That's what Paul is saying has come, spiritually. That the fullness of time has come. The heirs of God's house are now not under this guardian anymore. Commentator Douglas Moo writes these words, Israel and people in general under the law is like a child who has not yet received the expected inheritance. It would thus be very natural for Paul to describe the law and its peculiar requirements, circumcision, abstinence from certain foods, the celebration of holy days as elementary principles that have now been put aside in the new era of salvation history. And all of this results in verse 5 of chapter 4, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Some of you are thinking, this man has just given us a lot of Bible verses, and I think he's talking about Jesus. What is he saying? That from the very first pages of the Bible until this page that we're on, the whole thing has not been about you being a more moral person. The whole thing has not been about the formation of a religion. The whole thing 
has not been about you saving yourself. The whole thing, as we saw at the beginning from even before the creation of time, was that Christ would come in the fullness of time. That he would bring about a work that would accomplish the salvation of all who've trusted in him. The whole Bible is about Jesus. It proclaims his name. This gospel, Paul says, God purposed to bring about in the fullness of time. Well, now that time has come. And that's why, in the midst of trying to correct those who say you have to add to Jesus, Paul says, I want to remind you that this all happened in the fullness of time. So what lessons do we learn about this phrase then, the fullness of time? I want to give you four and we're finished. We've walked through the Bible, hearing how the Bible says that this time was going to come. We've heard Paul say, when the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. What lessons do we learn? Well, some general ones, perhaps, and some specific ones. The first is this. All of history moves toward Christ. All of history moves toward Christ. God's plan from the beginning was to move a people to Christ. For Christ to save them. To be their righteousness. To atone for their sins. All of history moves toward Christ. This is important, isn't it? Because if you're a student of history or you just watch the news, you may think all of history is about something else. But all of history is really a move toward Christ. But a second theme. The Old Testament points to the time of Christ. If you want to really know how to put your Bible together, you need to know that the Old Testament is Christian scripture. It, it points us to Christ. It points us to the time that he's coming. The sacrifices of the Hebrews pointed to the sacrifice that Christ would make. The priests of the Old Covenant point to the fact that we need a mediator between us and God and that Christ would be the priest. The temple of old and the tabernacle before it, that tent in the wilderness, it's a reminder that we need to dwell with God, that God would provide a temple Christ. All the discussions of sin and uncleanliness. Think about all the rules of the old covenant. What to eat, what not to eat, what to touch, what not to touch. They're all pictures of what? We are to be a particular people who are set apart for God. All of this points to Christ. In a day where there are some who would say that the Old Testament is sort of separate from the work of the New Testament. We need to be very careful to see that God has written one story, not two. One story from Genesis to Revelation. But now a specific one to you. Notice what the text says. But when the fullness of the time had come, when the time was right, when all of the times were completed, when it was ready for time to shift, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption 
of sons. A third lesson, and very specific to your case this day, friend, is that your adoption by God in Christ was perfectly timed. I don't know how to explain this any clearer than to say it in this way. Every page turn of the Old Testament, every second of the passing of history, involved, among other things, the fact that you, Christian, would at just the right time hear of the gospel of the Son and you would be converted. This entire movement was a perfectly timed movement for your adoption as a son. Many of us have with joy over these last weeks, months really, prayed for, prayed about, and then prayed prayers of joy as a family in our church brought in a son by adoption. And that is a precious reality. And in some ways, in Paul's day, adoption involved even one more thing than adoption does in our day. All of the things that we think about here, a child having a home, a child being brought into a family. That's what happens to you spiritually if you're in Christ. In Paul's day, adoption was sometimes performed so that an individual would have an heir. And sometimes, one family would go to another family, and they would say, we want to adopt your child. And as part of that ceremony, that adoption ceremony, the previous family would have to renounce their rights to the individual. And then the new family, through a very worked out procedure, would promise that this adopted one would be one that they would not ever reject would be one that would be the heir. If you're in Christ, God has adopted you spiritually. You've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into God's house. And it was when the fullness of time had come. Well, a fourth lesson for us, and quite practically today, would be this. God can be trusted in our times. Here's what I mean. If the movement of all of history, the movement of the Old Testament times, the laying out of every single event so that Christ would be pointed to, he would come, he would live a perfect life, he would die. If all of that was in the fullness of time, perfect, then Christian, you can trust God in your times. God has literally arranged the time of his creation around the glory of his son in the saving of a people. You who are in Christ are one of those people. Pray tell, what thing will happen to you today? What thing will happen to you this week? What thing will happen to you in your life that in some way will rewrite God's timetable for the adoption of you as a son or daughter of God? What event on the news is so great that it will shatter your hope in God's timetable? Nothing. Nothing. God can be trusted in our times. 
John Gill, the Baptist of the 1700s, writing on this passage, says this, The time agreed and fixed upon between God and his Son from all eternity, in the council and covenant of peace, when the Son of God should assume human nature, which time was diligently searched into by the prophets, was revealed unto them and predicted by them, as more generally that it should be before the civil government ceased from Judah and before the destruction of the second temple, and more particularly by Daniel and his prophecy of the 70 weeks, towards and about the close of which there was a general expectation among the Jews of the Messiah's coming. And was the fullness of time here referred to? He goes on. We'll stop there. Paul, in wanting people to understand the gospel properly, says this gospel is a gospel that involves God's perfect timing. Let's pray. Living God, we pray your blessing on our consideration of your word that we may rightly consider the truth That when the fullness of time had come, a time which all history had pointed to and was centered around, a time which all of the Old Testament proclaimed, when that time had come, you fulfilled your promised word to send the King, the Seed, the Savior. Help us when we meditate upon our salvation in Christ to consider the perfection of of the timekeeping of our God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.